another country. In my head, I've traveled to this country many times. Now I wonder where the pictures are that lured me here. The jobs, the shops, the smiling faces. I cannot read the signs. Private property, dangerous dog, keep off the grass. The rows of houses neatly trimmed, the parking places for the cars. Words skulk beneath my tongue. Can you, will you, help me find a life? People turn away. Office hours are from nine to five. In this world of paperwork, I, who have no papers, am not here. I didn't think I'd bring my country with me, but it came to visit, uninvited, wound itself around me like my mother's scarf. Each night I travel to the village where my house once stood. The brightness of the sky that lights the herd of cows stumbling through the plains, all skin and bones. The empty well, the tainted earth. Nothing grows from gunshot wounds. In the dust I find a child's hand. How can I build on other people's bones? I seek another country where there's room to breathe, the air is sweet scent of lemon leaves. A door is open. Someone calls my name. Sarah Reader Harris, reading from her poem, Another Country. Murica Slovan Lewis and Sarah Reader Harris, our guest today, hail from adopted homes in Belgium and northern France. Until the pandemic, you'd find them both on Mondays, in all weather, cold, drizzly, or fair, in a covered corridor outside Le Petit Chateau in Brussels. Just east of the embankment of the Brussels Canal, a maritime waterway separating the city of Brussels from Molenbeek, Le Petit Chateau is a refugee asylum center operated by Fedasil. Once a residential center, it is now the port of entry for all new arrivals of refugees to Belgium. Between 2017 and 2020, If you visited Le Petit Chateau on one of those Monday afternoons, you'd also hear music, because Marika Sloven-Lewis and Sarah Reeder-Harris led a regular program which gathered residents and new arrivals in a music, story-making, and poetry program based largely on the foundations of a technique called Story to Song. The program gave voice to refugees' thoughts and feelings, and the two encouraged the residents to transform their stories from as many as ten languages into song. These songs, with lyrics in all languages, as well as chord notation 
and photos and art that capture glimpses into the workshop process are published in their book, On the Move, Poems and Songs of Migration. These stories express themes of resilience, strength, and hope. They are transcribed and transformed directly from the words of those seeking better and safer lives. We met with Marika and Sarah remotely during the final days of December 2020 to discuss what brought them both to this and other projects, their book, and the future of the project in a challenging time. This is Crossings, The Refugee Experience in America, Episode 9, Songs of Migration in Belgium. Marika and Sarah, thank you for joining us uh, here today on the podcast. You know, it strikes me that both of you are migrants yourself to northern France and Belgium. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about how your journeys brought you to where you where you are today? Let's uh, let's start with Marika. I'm happy to, and thank you so much. Um, well, I'm a wandering soul, so I've spent most of my adult life moving around the world. I'm currently living in northern France, but I spent the past four years in Belgium, where I moved with my husband from the United States so that he could study for his doctorate in the philosophy of technology at the Free University of Brussels, Vrije Universiteit Bruxelles. Before that, I lived all over the United States because I used to be a National Park Service park ranger, so I worked in Washington State in the mountains, Alaska, Massachusetts, and... Even when I was an undergraduate at university, I studied in West Africa and Russia and Hungary. And after that, I taught for a year in France, teaching English in elementary school. So that story of movement is one that I'm very familiar with in my own life. So it really speaks to me. And uh, Sarah, so I'll throw to you. Yeah, thanks for for um, inviting us here. Um, yeah, my story is nearly 40 years ago. I went to this place called Teze uh, in Burgundy in France, which is a, a community started off by a Swiss brother um, and started off as a kind of safe place for refugees uh, during the war and then became like an ecumenical community. And I went there for a week and I did not want to meet anybody, but actually I met my, my husband there. Um, my Flemish husband, and uh, a year later I came and settled in Belgium. So I've been here uh, ever since, uh, for the most part in, in Brussels. And Sarah, you're a, an author, a poet and a children's book author. Um, these are among the pursuits on your CV. Do I understand correctly that the book, uh, one of these books, was adapted for performance in Scotland? Yeah, that's right. That was that's um, the first book I wrote about a sheep. Um, it's called A Sheep Called Sky. It's a series of books. Um, but the first one um, was about uh, starts off as a sheep who doesn't feel like a sheep, and um, who goes off to find a place where where she really belongs. She never knew her mom. She was brought up in a bed and breakfast, so she always feels different from the other sheep. And um, the 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 story is really about um, 
about homecoming, about where do you feel at home, where do you belong. And that that uh, that book was taken up by the National Theatre of Scotland and made into a a play with puppets. And um, they took it to different places in Scotland, quite sort of far off places on the islands and places that didn't usually have um, have a theatre or or that kind of activity for people. So it was nice. It brought 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 it brought the story to the people. And um, I also did a, did some projects with primary schools. Um, around the story before they went to see the show and um, got them to to reflect and to think about about home about what what's home for them and uh, I I see the my stories are a kind of starting point for their stories um, so I did quite a lot of, of writing workshops with children on that theme. Thank you for that. We'll be speaking today about this process of um, storytelling of a storytelling method that draws uh, stories out of an experience from uh, refugees and asylees, in, in this case in Belgium. But Sarah, I understand that you act as a guardian for unaccompanied minors arriving in Brussels. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I did. Um, I think it was in 2015 when there was the big um, migrant crisis here. Um, they had a call here for more people to become guardians um, because the system here is that uh, when you come as an unaccompanied minor, you get assigned a, a legal guardian who helps you with your judicial process. Um, so I felt like this was something I could do and I did a training course in this to learn all about the system and how it works. And, um, and, then, uh, and then I started... Um, I started off doing that, and uh, I've now been um, a guardian for for two Eritrean boys, a Venezuelan girl, and and now a, a, a young boy from Angola. Yeah, it's a it's a great privilege to be able to do this. I find my job is is primarily to guide them through the judicial procedure, but also to look after their best interests, to make sure that they have the right education, the right housing, the right um, that their social needs are met. So it's it's um, it's a very interesting it's very interesting work, and it's a great chance to get to know these amazing young people and hear their stories and 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 help them negotiate the the practical difficulties of of uh, of coming to to make their home here. Sounds like a lot of hard work, but very rewarding. It is. It's a it's a lot of administrative work, which I'm I'm not the best in. But um, it is really rewarding because um, the contact with with these amazing people and it enlarges my own my life and it's such a, a great yeah it's a great privilege to 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 have the possibility to 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 know these people and um, and and to be able to accompany them on their journey yeah it's a it's it's a great uh, it's a great adventure and I I really love doing it. Marika, maybe you can uh, help with uh, starting off the conversation with a description of, let's say, the goal and the process of uh, what is called story to song and how it's been employed as a method of drawing uh, stories from groups of refugees and asylees in Belgium. That's a great question. And it's one that, like a story, has many layers to the answer. Um, but let me start, I'll start just by describing the very beginnings of 
the how the method came to be and then maybe expand a little bit because it's it's a method that that came into being while I was studying in a doctoral program in the southwest in the US specifically studying sustainability education you know so the the idea that of sustainability being to help any system to be able to continue to thrive in perpetuity but also to to restore balance when you know external elements may throw that system out of balance and my specific research focus was was looking at this idea of self sustainability that we can work to create sustainability in that kind of that that balance and ability to thrive at a global level by beginning with the individual and i had the good fortune of connecting with another student in my cohort who's also a musician and who is a composer and we connected over this this idea that that a person can be invited to share a story and that that story can be the creative fodder for a song and so we we really focused our research on looking at how you could begin with a spoken story capture all of those words and then move through the creative process to really honor the authenticity and vulnerability and raw emotion of that story by shaping as many of the words from you know from that from that story into lyrics into a song and and looking at the the kind of universal components within that song that could speak to the most people so an universal concept you know by that i mean an element of the human experience that's one that that's experienced by by many people so it might be a theme might be the desire to belong the desire to be seen the desire to be loved um you know the feeling of of um being being a foreigner being on the outside right if you're looking at a person who's a migrant or a refugee or an asylum seeker and and the idea was to look at each of the individual steps that it could take and that other people could follow to to write a song in this way and the the goal being you know first and foremost to to bear witness to the human experience And then also specifically to to invite a person to share a story so that they do feel like they're being heard and that you know that their story has value and that you know that translates into that person feeling that they're of value that they're of worth and um, and the experience of writing the song is one that can be quite transformative and can offer moments of healing and catharsis and so 
you know, for the person experiencing the, that moving through that process, those are some of the, you know, the, the transformative moments that they might experience. But then the goal also is to then share those stories in the folk music tradition so that other people might be able to make a connection, listening to the themes, those universal themes that are what become the chorus of the song. They can listen and say, oh, you know, I've, I know what it feels like to feel alone. Or I know what it feels like to, you know, to really want to, to belong to a community. And then when they listen to the verses of the story unfolding, which might be a story very foreign to their own experience, they can then hopefully transcend any kind of fear or sense of the other to see that person who shared that story that became that song as, you know, as a person, as someone familiar and not as a foreigner or an other, someone that they you know, that they might fear. So take us back, if you will, to one of those Mondays at the Petit Chateau. I understand your workshops were most often held in a covered courtyard, rain or shine. What was that experience like for the two of you and the participants? Well, it was a it was a very special experience because it was um it was so open, and I I came to that idea. I used to do it very differently because uh, I've been I've been working I've been um, running poetry sessions there for the last 10 years or so and I used to do it like poetry classes almost in a classroom and then we would discuss we would look at poems see what they meant to us and we would I would have uh, poetry in different languages and it would be in like a classroom setting and uh, I, I felt that that was very limited and very limiting because people had so many things on their mind and to sign up for something or to go along to something, it, you didn't reach a lot of people. And so I decided to bring poetry to the people, as it were, and be outside where, in a place where people pass by. So it was a kind of new, new idea, really. And I just put up a big piece of paper uh, started off by writing maybe the first line of a poem or, or something that, that had um, um, come to my attention that week or something like that. And then we would start to build the poem with the with the people who saw us. That's when Marika joined, when I was doing already that system <laughs> outside. I, I, I loved that because it was, um, it, we tried to, to create a welcoming space. Thank you. 
there were no doors, there were no walls. So everybody everybody could, could join in. Rain or shine, uh, we were there outside. And there was something also universal about being outdoors somehow in the elements. It was cold, but you know, we were we were there where the, where people were passing by. So it wasn't necessarily that these were highly formal, you'll be here at 1300 and we'll begin the process of telling our stories. Sounds like residents just kind of fell in. That's right. That was that was how that was how it was. And um I think the fact that we were there every week at the same time, so people got to know us and they see this is what this is happening then. Our outside office was, uh, we had a, a poetry wall where we hung up poems in different languages so people could, could pass by during the week and see, oh, you know, connect um, to us in that way too. So it was kind of like a welcoming space, really. We were like sort of fellow travelers in a way, you know, meeting as equals in this, in this, in this strange uh, strange place um outside and yeah so the the the, we we actually um saw every every session was very um it just just happened we didn't have like a we we started off with a with a with a quote but then we saw where it led to and we just worked with the people who came at that moment would this sometimes the 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 quotes and the prompts that really really kicked off the process um were these uh, sometimes uh, from from the cultures that were served at uh, Petit Chateau or in their native language? Yeah, well, we, we did. We, we very often used quotes from poets that they knew or that they were very, uh, very important to them, like because in, in the Middle East, poetry is so important. So we had like, uh, lines from Mahmoud Dawish or Persian poets, Rumi. So we would we would often start off with something like that and we would try to get someone to translate it into another language. And then and then we would see where that led to what people thought about that idea and what that inspired in them to add to that. So it it kind of was a a sort of building building block. So it was like an organic process, the, the creation of the poem. And we really we were we were the libraries in a way. The people were the libraries because they brought with them their culture there. You know, we would ask them what you know, what were their dreams? What were their hopes? What did they think about this? You know, so sometimes it was even their, their idea that started the process. And and the idea is, is, you know, we're kind of riding this creative wave. And so we're there for two hours each week and we see what unfolds and, and who visits us. And we invite people to write in, in any language. And while the center was more residential, there were people who would come each week who were really just an, an incredible multilingual speakers and um, and who would help us with the translation. And as the, the center became more kind of transitory, we relied quite a bit on, um, you know, like Google Translate gesticulations. We have a song called Habibi Habibi that, um, that stems from this idea of being in between. Sarah had written a line from a poem from a book called England Schools, Poems from a School. And the line was, I know what it is to be in between. And we had asked this fellow from Palestine if he could translate that into Arabic. And he didn't, he wasn't familiar with the concept. So we were trying like having, okay, I have here, I'm standing here and there's two people on either side of me and I'm in between, <laughs> you know, just, I mean, it's almost like theater. And mm-hmm. then, he, you know, and then I think he, he understood it in a way that, um, you know, that he communicated from his own experience, this idea of being in between times in his life. That was really quite poignant and poetic. 
Yeah. Well, I just think that that's when it take when it when it would take off was when Marika came uh, with the music because I always did poetry words and uh, but when yeah there's always a limitation of the language of course um, even though you try and do it very very uh, bilingually or multilingually um, but when Marika came along that really took off because it became um, yeah it, be, it became then a song you know with with the music that gave it a whole different dimension and. Um, that meant that it reached so many more people because music is so universal. So um, that's that's when the, the the poetry became a song, and that really really got wings, you know. Is is this method less intimidating than let's sit down and write our stories? Yeah, I think so. And to kind of give context, when I mean when we first began working together, the center was a residential center. So there are people who had been living there for a long time. So they already knew Sarah uh, a bit when, you know, when I started volunteering there. And then there were people we met who we would see week after week and who would go home and think about poems and writings that they might like to share. And, um, and over the course of our time, it became more of a trans transit center. So the experience was more transitory. So we would, wouldn't necessarily see the same people week after week but what we were able to do you know in the first couple of years that we that we worked together was to build a real rapport with people which involved building trust so that um that people we would meet began to feel like we were a part of their community and that they would feel comfortable sharing some often difficult experiences and that we were there like sarah said as equals and we were all travelers and we'd all come to Belgium from another place. And and our role was simply to invite art and the creative process in to see if it might like to communicate something through all of us in this moment. I mean, just from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. on a Monday. I very much like that idea that uh, art is invited along as a principal passenger, if you will on this journey um, and uh, a friendly one that uh, brings other people aboard. Well, it's true. I mean, I think of, I think a, one paper I worked on years ago when I was in the, the doctoral program was this idea of the birth of a song and that part of my role as this guiding musician, guiding songwriter is to, to look for these little moments when this, you know, beautiful creative gem shows itself you know and to say oh maybe it's just these like few words or maybe it's a little melody that that one of the residents has has volunteered to sing which is also a really scary thing and that's part of the process <laughs> of songwriting is to invite the people who have shared their words to sing which not everyone always wants to do we're we're there we're there on the path with with that you know big magic i think elizabeth gilbert calls it but um, you know, but, but, but we're just, we're paying attention and we're helping guide the process and using the skills that we have, you know, to help facilitate, but mostly to, to create this like safe space of welcome where everyone can be invited to share even just a word or just their presence. Okay. Let's sing. Yeah. Recording. Okay. Hello. Okay. We try. Ready? One, two, Relax. three. three. Love at night, and life loves back. 
So this has been a challenging almost, I'd say, two years in Brussels and indeed the whole of the EU and, and North America. Uh, arrival nations have imposed travel restrictions and quotas even before the pandemic and endured delays in processing arrivals and asylum registrations. How has this affected the continuity of your program? Well, it's affected it um uh, considerably because we we've had to stop doing it um, since I think March um, because the they were not accepting any um, volunteers in the center and uh, there was a time also when the center was actually even closed for um, asylum seekers they closed their doors they they could they wouldn't take any um, uh, actual face to face interviews or face to face uh, that everything had to be online so the um yeah so it it's a, it's uh it's put a, a a big stop to to a huge amount of things and even before then i mean it was it was interesting to just experience the shift from it being a residential to a, to more of a transit center where you know each week we'd meet new people and and as Sarah said, I mean, people who are there, it's quite overwhelming. I mean, you know, you're checked in. You may or may not speak any of the three sort of national languages in Belgium. And then there's, you know, you have all these meetings and um, appointments and and you're trying to find your way in this, you know, enormous facility. So really, you know, for us, I mean, as always, we're sort of just trying to be open to whatever might happen in the moment and the time that we're there. We would be there, you know, from two to four every Monday, and we became sort of part of the orientation tour. So the the, the Fedeziel staff would be bringing in people who had just registered, and then they would be giving them a tour of the facility, and they would be pointing out the cafeteria and the medical center. And here is the, you know, the poet and songwriter... <laughs> I think it was their last, yeah, we had a poem, um, thank you for coming. I think it was in the new year. We put up this poem, thank you for coming. Um, and we wanted to, yeah, I think it became very important, the welcome point, um, because things are turning so so fearful everywhere. And 
welcome is not something people people feel or people want to even give people, you know, but they're kind of closing their doors rather than opening them. So we wanted to do the opposite. We wanted to to thank people for making this journey, you know, and, and, to, and to kind of um, contributing to our society, you know, and to, to kind of give these ideas, even if it was just by a poem they might see on the wall or a poem in their own language that they might recognize and feel, oh, that I, you know, I'm, that's part of me, you know, and so that they didn't feel quite so estranged because um, obviously the whole thing is such an, uh, an, an estranging experience for them. And um, I think that was also very important, our poetry wall that we um, that we put poems up in different languages and that people felt recognized. We've heard from a recordings of the workshop throughout this episode. Do you have ambitions for recording and maybe offering distribution of the songs that we can find in the book today or others even? We do. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I mean, the songwriting process is really quite powerful. I think just working one-on-one, working with a group the way that we have. And then the next step, as with folk music, is to try to get those those songs out into the world to help create uh, a feeling of connection, of empathy, of solidarity for people all around the world by by hearing the stories of you know of of people who have really risked their lives to 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 create a, a safer life for themselves and for their children, and so we would really like to to record these songs in a you know in a professional way and invite other musicians in to give energy and life beyond just you know me singing and strumming a ukulele. Um, so that, so that, um, so that the stories of of refugees and asylum seekers are ones that that become known, and also so that it's not just so that people can make a connection, but it's also this idea. You know, there's the old adage: if a tree falls in the forest and no one is there to hear it, does it make a sound? And it's this idea that by writing poetry and by writing these stories and then lifting them into song. We, we bring them into this kind of space where, where they, they can exist and, and continue to honor the people who, who lived through those experiences. It's like they're made real by lifting them into this universal language of music that can be shared and like folk music can take on a life of its own. I mean, people can listen to the song and make it their own and sing it, you know, in their own way. So I think that's really the next step. We have a book now where we've we've published, I think, 26 or 27 of the songs that are more or less finished. And um, you don't know if you have the book with you, Sarah. I think there's at least 10 different languages. Um, we've, we've worked with people in, in Dari, in um, Tigrinya, Spanish, French, Netherlands, Arabic, Swahili. Mm-hmm. Wolof, there's eight. We have um, Hebrew, nine. Um, Armenian, ten. And then we could just say, and slowly the dawn awakens again. And what about Surya Levi? <laughs> so now we could go to Surya Levi. Hello. Elavi to Surya. Surya Levi. Elavi to Sarah, let me ask the question of you. Um, what can our listeners do to support the mission of the specific work that you are doing here to 
welcome refugees and asylees into their own communities? Well, I, I think that the the way to start is is to really have the chance to meet people, you know, to, to meet as, as people. And um, very often people don't have that, that experience, you know. So these people are like just a kind of group, asylum seekers or refugees, you know, and they, they're, they're, a, they're, a, they're a threat or they're kind of victims, you know, one or the other, you know, they, they, but they're not, they're not people like you and me because they don't have the experience. So I would say it's so enriching, actually. It's so for your own life um, to, to get to know these different people and people in these situations. So I would say, yeah, to, to kind of um, join any, any organization that you can or, or join any community initiative that's, that's dealing with, that's um, offering a welcome to refugees. And maybe Marika want to answer about the, what the listeners can do to help, particularly with our mission. Well, so, I mean, I guess we have, we have many dreams, but one is to be able to record these songs, to be able to get them out there in the world in a big way. And we do have a, we have a fundraiser that we can share, GoFundMe site that, that shares um, a video description of the project and there's there's a written description and there's photos and 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 links also to where you can if you're interested you can you can buy our book um we've tried to keep um print costs really low so that we're able to um use some of the proceeds from the books to be able to put towards recording the songs and then once the records are songs are recorded we we intend to to donate proceeds from the books towards organizations that are working with refugees and asylum seekers. So that's one way that you could support us. You can also support us just by going onto our website, reading really the stories of these people, listening to the songs and singing along. You know, I, I really do want to thank you both for joining us here today, for being so generous with your time to share your personal stories and the stories of those that you've served in the uh, Story to Song program and at the Petit Chateau. So for all our listeners, thank you so much, Sarah, Marika. Thank you so much. Thank you for for taking the time to to listen to our story and to to bring these many stories that we bring with us out into the world and for all that the work that you do in your community and what a what a wonderfully unanticipated boon in this wild year to be able to all connect this way. Yeah. yeah. It gives me hope. On the Move, Poems and Songs of Migration can be found at online retailer sites including lulu.com, lulu.com, and Amazon marketplaces. Visit guidingsong.com to learn more about the Story to Song method, explore the songs and songwriter stories, learn more about Sarah Reeder Harris's series of children's books 
writing as srharris at asheepcalledsky.com. Sky is spelled S-K-Y-E. Her poem, Another Country, was published in The Circle, a Brussels anthology by Harvard Square Editions. Today's episode was written by Vincent Hostack, researched by co-producer Janice Pugh-Waller. Theme music was composed, performed, and produced by John Orr Franklin. Crossings, the refugee experience in America, is hosted at Anchor by Spotify and can be found virtually everywhere podcasts are hosted. Find more episodes at anchor.fm forward slash crossings refugees and visit us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash crossings refugees. I'm Vincent Hostack. Thank you for listening. <laughs> You know each other? No, this is good. Yeah, First time was ah. But they're already debating life. He is poet, <laughs> Mohammed, and you are artist. Okay? So there you go. You never met each other here before? No.